Hello and welcome to episode 52 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me to my right, it's the godfather, Dave Harburger. Directly to your right? Yeah. Are we sharing the same space? We are looking within one another's eyes. It's amazing. We won't have to use our complicated and baroque series of hand signals to be able to tell each other when we want to talk this episode. It's not complicated. It's in-depth. It's educated. It's for the masses. Hey, yeah. let's record the sound of two men shaking their hands. <laughs> I heard it. It's we kinetic. It. Zach, Zach, shake my hand. Yeah, I'm a little so, soft. Not to spoil it for everybody, but we are live. Coming at you live from Chicago t- t- uh, today. Yeah, from Mystery Street Recording Company. That's right. To Dave's right, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Yes, I came in specifically for this, not for any work function. There was no like double booking. It wasn't just a fortunate coincidence for the one year anniversary, baby. Wow. Last but not least, Big Red himself, Zach Colhan. A little spicy, a little sweet, hint of cinnamon. It's me, baby. This week, we celebrate a full year of making this podcast with a trip down memory lane. We look at the last year of magic and the dive down relive some of our best and worst memories, and make broad stroke predictions about the next 25 years of MTG. Secret layer reserve list, if or when. But before we accidentally reveal huge announcements Wizards of the Coast doesn't want you to know about, we have some housekeeping. Thanks to Ryan B. for joining our Patreon, and thanks to All for Delilah for the nice review on Apple Podcasts. As always, we are brought to you by our patrons, Each week, some awesome people out there give us their hard-earned money because we make a podcast. If you'd like to support us by joining the Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thedivedown and see what cool things you can get at various tiers of support. Most importantly, everyone gets access to our super secret Slack channel, where citizens of the Dive Down Nation are always chatting about none other than MTG. Sometimes coffee. Sometimes, what, monster trucks? No, maybe. There's a small contingent of us that complain about our children to each other as well. Like monster trucks, right? And of course, we're also brought to you by Manageraders, uh, the best rental service for Magic Online and paper. If you're interested in checking that out, you can save 15% on your first three months by using our special link in the show notes and using the code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, when you sign up. We all use it. You should do. I just want to say, as uh, in preparation for this episode, I listened to a couple of the early ones, and I called out manatraders.com like episode one in the first episode as being <laughs> one of my favorite things and so to be here a year later partners with manatraders friends has been close qu- friends quite yeah. a ju- yeah. acquaintances yeah, they love talking to me on the chat the support <laughs> chat hey dave again what are you up to <laughs> uh so appreciate it and if you want to support us please check out manatraders.com it is really the best way to rent cards so, we, of course, we were going to have a breakdown this week. We wanted to cover the two Pioneer PTQs that happened. We wanted to cover the Pioneer Challenge, maybe the Modern Challenge. But unfortunately, it looks like Magic Online had some kind of data bug. And they tweeted out this week. They were like, we don't really know what happened to the decks from this weekend. So hold fast. Hold, hold fast. tight. Yeah. <laughs> we might have something for you. And as of Monday evening. Fingers crossed. <laughs> as of Monday evening, they apparently did not find the text file in the desktop (laughs) (laughs) clean up your icons i named it drop 12.txt i don't know why i can't find it and um yeah we're sol 
They're looking through their couch cushions to try to find deck lists. SOL stands for shame. We're out of luck, by the way. Shane's out of luck. (laughs) And so are uh, Dave, Zach, and Stan. We wanted to have a good look at post-band Pioneer. Yes. But um, not to be so right now. Yeah, so we'll just give more time with uh, all y'all and kind of this best and worst of episode we have prepared for all y'all. Well, I think that would be fun for us to start out a little bit with, why don't we check in with the state of where, what everybody here on the dive down has been doing lately in their own constructed play. That's a good idea. Yeah, we do play magic. We do. We don't just comment, comment on it. We I don't uh, do these meta analyses that we do or read tournament results. So you can listen to them while you're working out and mowing your lawn and things like that. Mm-hmm. We also play sometimes and get two threes in leagues and things like that. <laughs> Excuse Who's you. mowing their lawn in December? I'll People have you who know. live out west. Uh, truth. I three-twoed once this past weekend. So some respect, please. Good work. Well, I do my best. So Stan, Dave. should we should we talk about each format individually or should we talk about what each person has been doing? Let's start with each person because not everyone is playing every format. Yeah. <gasps> Whoa. Shocking. There is a division in the ranks. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I'm pretty much only playing modern right now, though I am still aggressively buying pioneer cards. Yeah. Old I'm... school fans, please stand next to Stan right now. <laughs> he is he is your modern boy. I'm impressed, Dan. I'm glad you're holding strong because Pioneer is certainly alluring. It's really the sirens have reeled me in. Yeah, you're going to get your time to talk in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I mentioned, Shane, the reason is because I don't have a ton of time to play Pioneer in paper because of the LGS schedule. And as a result, I get to play modern pretty consistently in paper. And thus, whenever I have free time to play online, I'd rather just practice modern. Yeah, the truth with Stan is that Paper is the definitive experience for you, right? Always. Yeah. I just love the feeling of sleeves between my fingers. <laughs> is this your card? I, I do love paper. I mean, paper is, it's a very visceral experience. I mean, I like Mitko because one, the rules engine works so well in terms of it works every step along the way. Like you have to click the mana as you use it type thing mm-hmm. a lot of times, but yeah, paper. There's something else about paper. I do love playing with other people across the table from me. Should I, should I mention what I've been playing? Please. Please. No. Like, yeah, Shane wants to talk more about the platform of Moto and how he loves it so much. Yeah. So the reason, the other reason I've been so focused on modern lately is because I have been truly in love and kind of obsessed with Mystic Sanctuary and Deprive in particular. Those two cards I think are pretty insane. And, I love it. And some of the locks, the counter spell locks that I've been able we have counter spell. We have counter spell in modern. You just have to send the land back to your hand. Yeah. It's like counter spell and days together. It, it's great if it's your fourth island. You just keep picking it up, putting it back, keep picking it up. I mean, you have to want to draw a counter spell over and over again, which has its pluses and minuses, but mm-hmm. Mo- it's mostly upside. So how's it going with like you're you've been brewing lately? Yeah, so I've just been looking for whatever shell I can find that uses this synergy the best and it's always a blue red deck mm-hmm. so is it solely deprive plus mystic or are you doing like the cryptic mystic i'm not playing cryptics anymore that's the surprise <gasps> oh, naughty so <laughs> what's the difference between blue 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 one counterspell bounce a land versus blue blue counterspell bounce a land well with cryptic can't you have the soft lock where you keep them tapped out in their combat step and then bounce the land to your hand and then keep looping the cryptic to keep them from ever attacking that is a thing you can do, yes. But it costs four mana. Yeah, four is more than two. So I just want to note for the record and for the listeners that at the time when maybe Cryptic Command is at its highest use in competitive modern in, I don't know, 
three, four years, Stan is like, it's too expensive. I don't, I don't want to do take any of the tech that the uh, Simic Urza deck has been using. Mm-hmm. I'm going a different way. Yeah. I respect that. Thank you. <laughs> Shane, you seem so eager. <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, no, the, I want to hear some more. more. Like, what, more? Else? Oh, yeah, what else? Yeah, what else have you been doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, you really so gave us anything. <laughs> you gave us two cards. <laughs> yeah, what, kind of, what kind of decks have you been playing then? <laughs> the, the torch remains in Stan's hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. So, like I mentioned, I've been trying to find the best shell for the synergy, and I've been testing it in different traditionally blue-red, blue-moon-ish decks. So, I've been doing a little bit of Delver with Young Pyromancer, been doing a little bit of Through the Breach Emrakul, um, some of my own brews using like Brineborn Cutthroat and or Brazen Borrower. I just find that in this era of modern, which is a kind of an unusual era of modern, I'm much more interested in Counterspell than ever before. And I feel like we have the best Counterspells we've ever had in the format. And that's all I want to cast. And I still love Snapcaster, Mage, and Lightning Bolt too. Yeah. The best Counterspell that was ever in modern was printed in Zendikar. Original Zendikar. Yeah. Rise yeah. the Eldrazi. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Is it in Rise? Yes. Okay. Oh, thank you. Right. Sorry. So it's a 10-year-old Counterspell plus a new land. Doing it. Problem solved. Love it. Have you taken this to the, to the, sh- the shop to play? I took Delver to the shop. With? I also, actually, I took a Blue Moon variant as well, but always with Deprived. How's yeah. it going? Delver did better than Thing in the Ice, and now I've been playing the the Emrakul version online and kind of just seeing what I like, playing Control with the combo finish or trying a more threat-based version. I, I don't know. Delver of Secrets, I still find it hard to justify playing Delver because so many games it's a one one for like five turns and that feels really bad yeah i mean that's yeah definitely below rate it's below rate yeah awesome all right so stan focused on modern taking it why don't we go to the person who's at the other extreme for a minute shane shane you've sold out a modern for the third time is this true (laughs) all my modern cards are now at goodwill Oh, that, Whoa. that so, seems like a like a miss. Shane, that, that's bad EV. Um, no, that's called a tax write off. Everybody, so yeah, please. so you, if you are interested, excuse me, I'm going to donate these. Uh, I'm going to donate these masterpiece scalding tarns that I have. No, no, these bobs never sleeved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so if you live in Denver, Colorado, just get yourself to an unnamed Goodwill. You can find my modern collection. But really, I mean, I really have been focusing on a lot on Pioneer, mainly because. I like the dynamic metagame right now. There's just so many changes all the time. There's a lot of events happening where you know new decks are showing up or modifications to decks are showing up. And so I just like that new dynamic with Pioneer a little bit more than kind of the, like we've mentioned in the past few weeks, a very stable metagame of modern. And I'm liking testing some new decks. I've been messing around with the new version on Green Devotion, which is kind of like a green splash blue devotion. Uh, Jerry talked about it in his article on Friday. And... Uh, a little bit of a spoiler, our buddy Yama Killer, he did quite well with it at a PTQ this weekend. Do you think uh, Gaul would remember our names? I do, show up, I do show up on Gaul's stream okay. and I, I say, hey, and he's like, oh, hey, Shane. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Because I didn't, I was not part of the interview episode. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, there are only so many Z names, right? There's Zach, there's Zeke, there's Zachariah, Zemaniah. I don't know. So I feel like he would be aware of a Z boy in his orbit. Yeah. Well, congrats to him for winning the PTQ, right? Yeah, so yeah, we, we could get some breakdown content in here. He did win, um, I believe, Sunday's PTQ mm-hmm. uh, with a green splash blue devotion. 
And if you want to see that deck, it is on Star City Games' premium side. There is only a premium side now. Mm. And, uh, and in a couple of weeks, though, it will be free. But uh, the Pioneer metagame is a lot faster than a few weeks. So I've been testing that. Um, if you do play that deck, make sure you have a blue source in your opener. Otherwise, you You're, will you will never draw it. Otherwise, you'll lose to literally everything, <laughs> yes. including bad builds of Phoenix. Yeah, Dave and I did some testing last night, and uh, I definitely did not ever draw any blue sources for a couple of games. Hmm. Yeah, I killed hmm. him with 1-1 hmm. fairies. Or or uh, my Gilded Goose got killed, so interesting, interesting. don't rely on that. Yeah. Zach, what are you into lately? You're doing you're, – you're a little bit of uh, mm. ACDC. <sighs> and then I'm on Highway to Hell because I agree with that. <laughs> I thought you were more Thunderstruck. Well, someone wants so. There's an audio-only track of Highway to Hell, and someone once described it as a goblin screaming at the ocean. Yes. And that is exactly who I am at all times. (laughs) It's a goblin who is so upset that the tide keeps coming in. And that is also what I apply really to my deck building in Pioneer and Modern. So obviously, Legion Warboss and Goblin Rabble Master, available, good to play, fun. So it's two formats for each two formats for each. (laughs) If you could see right now, Dave's doing a real good Nixon impression. He's not a crook. Not a big deal. It was more thrown up deuces, but you know, it's to me, it's all Nixon, baby. (laughs) Okay. So I've been playing big red. Of course, I'm playing big red, playing goblins. I'm playing Torbrin and Bonecrusher giant. So my LGS does pioneer at 11 and modern at three. On the same day. Yeah. On the same day. So my deck is pretty similar, but I had to, I had to sleeve up basic mountains because you cannot run snow-covered mountains in Pioneer. <laughs> mm. So between Gross. rounds, my decks are in the same sleeves. I have two boxes. I have to hurriedly switch over the Torbrins and the Rabble Masters and the Eidolons and the Bone Crushers. You really should use the same color sleeves, Zach. I makes, do. It would make mm. so much more sense. You're, <laughs> this is called negging, and you're negging me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, you're doing back-to-back magic tournaments, cross-formats. Living that life. About once a week, mm-hmm. four mm-hmm. rounds of each. So you're doing eight rounds of competitive magic. I sure am. At regular REL. Uh, not a casual REL. Yeah. So, so a little GP yeah, every Sunday. Yeah, exactly. How does that feel? Like, what's your energy levels like when you do a GP every week? Yeah, very so, Zach. I, I feel like before this podcast, I would play three rounds of Modern and be like, I'm done. Time to go home. Like, I had a little fun. I want to chill out now. But now, like, I played my eight rounds and I came home and I swear to God, I played MTGO. I played three rounds of a league. Like, I leave and I feel like, how can I play more red? What can I do to play another mountain right now? And, like, it's just driving me. So, like, obviously your mileage may vary, but playing eight rounds of magic like that just makes me want to play more magic. And we'll see if that's, like, a temporary thing. I have one more Sunday, I think, before the holiday season and I'm busy for a bit. So we'll see in January if the zeal and vigor is still there, the zeal and ardor, if you will. But we'll see. I, I enjoy it, and I think that I, I I make a few more misplays in Modern than I did before after I mm. play six or seven rounds for my final game. But I feel like I'm able to be more aware of those misplays and have them be like, no joke, I thought Bolt did two damage because I'm playing so much Pioneer, where I held a Bolt in my hand and went, I should save this, it's not going to kill them. And then my opponent got to four and then killed me, and I went, could I respond to that life gain spell with this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So wow. it comes with a cost, but I feel like it's making me better overall, even if the period of growth in between is not pretty. So let's talk about the difference between the two decks that you're playing. So in Pioneer, you are playing a deck that is kind of, what are, what are the all-stars? Um, it's Chandra Tribal, quote-unquote. So it's a three-drop Chandra, Acolyte of Flame, four-drop Chandra, Torture Defiance, and then six-drop in a Wicked Inferno. And her regulator, quote-unquote her vaprig, pulling huge clouds, 
copying tons of abilities. Is that really working for you? Two of is actually really good. That's Cop- amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, being able to copy Chandra Awakened Inferno, give them two emblems that are doing one, and then <laughs> you do that twice, and they have four. And the only way that loses, which is how I did lose, is Adventures Fair, sort of mud life gain, which is what my opponent had. Mm-hmm. So that happens. But overall, I mean, even upticking Chandra Torture Defiance, getting two options to cast, or dealing four damage, etc. Wow. It's been, I mean, I wish I had Mindstone. Obviously, I wish I was in Pioneer, but... And this isn't a mana rock, but it's something at two mana, right? Yeah, I've, I've uh, seen some lists where people are playing Wily Goblin. Sure. As a two drop is yeah, kind yeah. of a one-shot Mindstone. Yeah, absolutely. If I was more in on a higher curve or was running maybe five drops, because I think I'm totally off of five drops at this point in that deck. Hmm. Well, because sometimes Bonecrusher Giant is a five drop if you stop and cast at the same turn. Right. Or if you play a three drop Chandra Minus or cast a two drop from the graveyard, also a five drop. So you're not running Glorybringer, which has also been a thing that's been a big kind oh, of it's, like it's new. It's very big. It's new very, stable in No, I'm not running it. But every time I got cast against me, it would kill my Goblin Rattlemaster and a Chandra on the same turn. Oh, wow. So it still is very good. Yeah. So the Pioneer deck is sort of red mid range, lots of Mizium Mortar, Chandra's Triumph, Removal, and the Walkers. But then when you move into modern, well, before we do that, uh, what's your what's your favorite under the radar card in that Pioneer deck right oh, now? Oh, Chandra's Triumph for sure. Okay. So real quick, one in a red instant, it deals three damage to a creature or a walker. But if you control a Chandra Planeswalker, it deals five to a creature or a walker for two mana. So it's not quite Lightning Strike in that it can never go face, but I've been able to end of turn, tag it to Fairy, tag it Oko, and people aren't ready for that damage, and they really have to respect after they see it. And like I said, you can play three drop Chandra, down tick, cast that on turn five. Yeah, your end game isn't really like burning people with a Lightning Strike. That's No. The five, the five is just good value. Right, right, right. I mean, I don't play aggro decks for the most part. I owned Burn, but I think I played it wrong, and that's why I had to stop playing it. Hmm. So I barely have a toe into Pioneer. I'm not really familiar with this deck. Is this a meta deck or is this a Zach bro? Uh, it's a, so Fluffy Wolf, who is a known prison streamer, had the original version of this, which is based off a modern version, but it has since evolved very far past that. So this is my own list, but I don't want to ignore that I got the original 75 from somebody else. A lot of it's changed, maybe honestly 30 cards, but the stock list came from them, but that also came from somebody else. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I think that it's that Chandra's Triumph is super interesting in the sense that it's kind of like it's another one of those spells in Pioneer where I think that contorting your deck to make these conditional removal spells that have bonuses good is sort of the name of the game for a whole series of decks in Pioneer, right? Sure. Especially the red ones because you have that reckless rage kind of thing going on in Heroic. I think that, you know, I still think there's probably a home someday for Chain to the Rocks potentially as like a one mana exile effect. Chain to the Rocks. <laughs> I could have sworn I saw it in a 5-0 dump even. I probably. I haven't seen it yet. In I saw both from Metallica at 92 the United Center actually, yeah. yeah. Got to get you Chain to the Rocks. Bum, bum, bum. Change the rock. to the rocks. But I do see, even I've been playing a little bit. I'll talk about it a little, little bit, but I've been playing some blue red decks and in, in, uh, Pioneer and Lightning Axe is really, really good as well. Sure, absolutely. So, anyway, keep it short. The modern version is not fair in that it is running fast mana and Simeon Spirit Guide and Gemstone Cavern. You get also Blood Moon effects, but you run Magus of the Moon because you have Torbrun and sometimes Magus of the Moon swings for four. Mm. Yep. And also Bolt deals five with Torbrun. And I'm running. Forked Bolt, 
So with Torbrun, if you have two different targets, it deals three for each of them with Fork Bolt, which is good value. But I wonder if in Modern, I'm a little too obsessed with getting the two extra damage. Because mm-hmm. literally someone took a look and went, this is really cute. What do you do if you don't have a Torbrun? And I literally went, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I have an answer to that question. I hope I draw one. So <laughs> I really like the value it provides and what it can do. But I think that like I'm, my Pioneer deck is maybe better than my Modern deck. Wow. I need to figure out a way to cross the streams or maybe realize that red mid range is not modern playable anymore but it's sort of this deck that's in between prison and scred though yeah right? yeah is what you're doing right now and it's, it's built around torbrun which is really to just to remind everybody it's really good in lots of scenarios not just direct damage spells also with the tokens that come off of things like goblin rabble master and legion war boss and things like that well and a perennial favorite of mine land on combustion so land on combustion with torbrun deals four damage so I've lived the dream of having two. Oh man, that um, is your dream. I've lived the dream of having two out on turn zero, then turn two, double Simeon Spirit Guide Torbrun. Go ahead and target him, take eight. Let's see what happens now. Or yeah. Eidolon with Torbrun, et cetera. Yeah. So it's the phrase that I've heard online and what people have been bringing in the Discord is really Punisher Prison, quote unquote, mm-hmm. where we're not locking you out of the game, but everything you do is you're taking damage for it. And typically that has not been very good because as we know, you know, cards give you a choice like, book burning, quote unquote, or uh, risk factor, you pick the last bad one, or if you're punishing somebody, they'd stabilize. But I think we're at a critical mass plus Torbrun, where these Punisher effects are enough to get there, especially followed up, like Dave said, by Rabble Master, where the tokens now deal three with Torbrun. Yeah. Cool, man. That's awesome. Dave, what about you? Yeah, Dave, tell me about these blue red decks <laughs> that you've been hiding from me. Stan, Stan's like gripping the edge of the table. Also, while Zach has been going hard in both formats in paper, I and a little bit of modern uh, Mitko on the side. I've been kind of, of course, just sticking to Mitko, and um, I've been playing a little bit in both formats. I kind of w- decided that I wanted to tr- finally level up with Death Shadow. So in modern, I've been spending a lot of time playing different builds of Death Shadow, taking a look at how good four color Death Shadow is, playing a little bit with a uh, very small amount with Grixis and some with Jund. And uh, I think I'm about to start like turning the corner on Death Shadow. As we know, it's kind of like a skill intensive deck. And um, it was kind of hard, like the first couple of leagues that I did, like I had a two, three and I had a three, two, and I felt like I was definitely outplayed a bunch of times, but now I really feel like I am, um, I know what to do with my Mishra's Bobbles. I have like all those play patterns down where I'm kind of like figuring out that that was what I think was a level up for me anyway, was like any time that I have a way to influence my draw, I'm Mishra's Bobbling myself. Anytime I don't have anything to do with it, I'm Mishra's Bobbling my opponents, aggressively trying to get into those kind of things. Um, I've also really enjoyed the builds that have uh, Tarmogoyf in them. I think Tarmogoyf is pretty good at the moment, even though there's some fatal pushes out there and things like that. I still think that uh, that combination is good. So I've been kind of playing in the like Sultai Jund four color zone. Say it. Say the word. No, <laughs> I won't say the word. Have you been dealing with a lot of mirror matches? Um, online, actually, I feel like I've been dealing a lot with. Actually, I've been playing against a lot of Blood Moon decks. <laughs> online which is really bad when you'll never tell yeah which is really bad when you're playing death shadow because the mana base is the weakness of the death shadow decks and the four color ones it's like absurd yeah right. so I, I think right now i'm probably leaning more towards if i'm going to play a league online i'm going to get into jund death shadow and just be like oh it's fine <laughs> i mean stubborn denial is great and all but i've really enjoyed just being kind of like I'm just going to play a huge Tarmogoyf on turn two. I'm going to play a huge grind. Death Shadow and just like get in there. I'm not even grinding that much. It's, it's like actually no like feeling pretty. Ac- no, I still have, I have Traverse to be able to do threat selection. Okay. I'm also running three 
um, three once upon a times. So a lot of the list I saw were, were four traverse, two once upon a times, and I'm running three and three. Yeah, get to those threats faster with the once. Yeah. I mean, I think once upon a time is totally modern power level still, even though it's banned and everything else. And like, it's been great in that deck for me. So would you describe Moist Jund as an aggro deck? Maybe use a different word, but... I still don't think it's... it. I guess... No. If you're not I grinding, wouldn't. if you're not grinding, you're going fast. What's the other option? So I, I think that the control. I think that the, the, the moist one. The four, I'm going to call it four color. Yuck. No. The four color Please, shadow. Deck. The royal title. The moist. One. I mean, really, the four color shadow deck is is much more. The builds that I've been playing, and I've gotten these from from uh, you know shadow. Maven Michael Rapp online. The dark web, sure. Right on the dark web. The dark Twitter. Uh, the shadow Twitter. Oh, um, that's just night mode. Right. <laughs> Stan, I'll give it away. Yeah. Why is everything shadow mode now? I don't get it. Um, they're much more kind of like salt decks that splash. Um, they just splash team or battle rage and that's kind of it. And really even the John deck at this point is really just splashing, um, or just has red for team or battle rage and a little bit of Colings command out of the sideboard. Um, but I found in general, you know, just being able to really power out a giant death shadow or a giant Tarmogoyf has been pretty good right now. And I've been, I've been enjoying it. And even it's been really good against Urza, honestly. Yeah. And that seems to be like the thing that it's best at. And so that's part of the reason that I'm the most interested in playing it. Um, tough when you draw that humans matchup though, like online, I've played humans a couple of times and it's just, it's brutal. Machine's favorite deck. Whenever I'm getting into modern cues right now, I think I'm going to be sticking with with shadow decks for for now. Deciding kind of on the fly whether I want to play Oko or not. Oh, and you do. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's really not always worth stretching for it. But mm. at any rate. Aerobics will get you where you need to be. Yeah. Uh, and then on the Pioneer side, I've been sticking mostly to um, aggressive decks. I've been playing a lot of Boros Feather again and actually doing pretty well with it. I think it's a deck that you should definitely try out. I know that I've been talking with Emma Partlow on the Slack here and there about she's kind of building the deck. And um, I think that it's a good solid option for a cheap entry level pioneer deck. If you're not sure what you want to play while the bands are being sorted out, because there's no way any cards in there are being banned. They're just good cards. Was Copter not in that deck? Copter was not in the heroic deck. No, oh. it was in the blue white flash deck that I was enjoying a couple of weeks ago. And I mm-hmm. think that that deck will get re-engineered eventually somehow, but um, it's not it's not the right way to go at the moment. Yeah, but Boro, the Boros Feather, it's got no no copters. Sure. So uh, some friends of mine were mourning that Copter Band makes Feather weaker because it seems they are running it. So maybe hmm. we could have a link to your deck in the show notes because apparently there's a whole world of Feather that I am impervious to. Yeah, I we could definitely post it up again. Uh, it's definitely not a deck that I designed by any by any means, but um, we'll we'll post it up. Then in why there. is your name on it, Dave? <laughs> it's not on Goldfish just because I wanted to keep track of. The build that I like the best. They had one of those like metadata issues where your name was introduced to the deck list. And so now, Dave Harburger no, by Feather. No, Boros, yeah, Boros, <laughs> Boros, the Feather deck is now called Dave Harburger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what can you do? I will say, you know, when I talked during our Sleeve Belief Heave episode about Feather itself, I talked about the fact that I didn't like Dreadhorde Arcanist that much. And I've switched back to a build where there's a couple of Dreadhorde Arcanists in there and Boros Charm as well, even though. 
the Arcanist can't cast Boros Charm. Also, there's some builds that are starting to occur that have a lot of like sorceries in them and stuff like that. And I really prefer the ones that are just kind of all the spells are instant so that you can do things like protect your favorite hoplite at instant speed and things like that, as opposed to being all in on like Gird for Battle, which is really powerful because you can get two heroic triggers off of it, but it's a sorcery. Dave, who's your favorite hoplite? Probably the 10th District Legionnaire, which I don't even know if they're a hoplite or not. It's a hop heavy. So a friend of the show, Simon, had some sick tech for me recently. With Castle Embereth, you can pup up Arcanist to cast two drops from your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pump, like that. Yeah, pumping up Arcanist is definitely cool tech. Whenever you can do that with like a, a Tarkus Command. Castle Embereth, say it. Castle well, Embereth. Thank you, Shane. Uh, Royal Scions. Titan Strength. Titan Strength is the one that comes up in Feather anyway. But yeah, yeah Royal, Royal Scions. Scions. You can run Embereth in Feather. Probably could. Well, yeah. One mountain. Yeah, that's I think value. I think so. I that's, haven't I haven't tried it, but that's value. A Tarkus command. I do. I do that's feel value like you do. Sure. I do feel like there's still this kind of like a Tarkus command Dreadhorde deck yeah, coming it's not at some point. Yeah, because it's a good engine there to be like yeah. hit you for three, recast it, hit you for three. That's pretty awesome. Interesting. Uh, the other deck I've been playing in um, Pioneer as well is is it Phoenix hmm. essentially. Just keeping an eye on what's Why? going on there. Why? It's <laughs> a great question. Because I'm even less capable of, of letting go of it than you are. Mm-hmm. Stan, I'm mm-hmm. the one who will still be there at the shows 20 years after Phoenix was anything. Reunion tour, first album entirety. Yeah. E- exactly. Like, I want to hear Play the, the B-sides. Play the 7-inch. Exactly. Days at Riot Fest, that's only Is It Phoenix. Yeah. Is It Phoenix. There's a lot the- of Days at Riot Fest, if you know what I mean. Mm. Well, I just built Is It Phoenix and Pioneer. In paper or? Yeah, in paper. It's yeah. got Flame Wake Phoenix, Rekindling Phoenix, no, no, Is It no, no. Charm. You haven't played that deck yet. <laughs> Phoenix <laughs> Tribal. That's, Phoenix, Phoenix Tribal. It's actually Teamer, isn't it? No. It's not? You're going with? I, I, don't, I, I don't, don't cast green stuff, Dave. Interesting. I don't think green's a real color. Hmm. Well, so I found Is It Phoenix to be, I finally am willing to like give it up a little bit. Although. Certainly beat me. Well, that's the thing is like. I was ready to give it up until yesterday during the day. I saw, this is Sunday. I saw somebody post up a 5-0, and I, I just looked on Twitter to try to find the person's name. I know that the first name of their handle was Frank. They will be on the 5-0 list. Not a common name in a bunch of countries across the world at all. I, I'm really sorry. I tried to check into it. I So I found a, an Is It Phoenix list on Twitter. It was retweeted by Pioneer Cast. So if you don't follow them on Twitter, you should keep an eye on it because they share a lot of lists. They, this list was no thing in the ice. The worst card in the deck. So it sounds like an upgrade. Do you think that? Because I hear people saying that four toughness is a sweet spot for Pioneer. Like that's hard to remove. Like my deck has a lot of that, you know, Chandra's Triumph, Mizia Mortars. But I think in general, four toughness is hard, right? Yeah. Well, it's really bad again in a heavy black meta game oh, because of fatal push. They don't so, care about toughness. Yeah. So when there were twenty five percent of the meta was mono black aggro. They're closer than red. Not great. Interesting. Interesting. Dave, uh, I found out who it is. It is Fred the Fifth. Oh, Fred. Fred so underscore sorry. the underscore fifth. Thank you. Is fifth spelled F T H or F I F T H? Nice. These guys all have computers in front of them in the studio, and I'm just going like totally solo. Here, I am so. a computer. He's reform. He's going I am an total AI. Gen X. Yeah. Pre technology. Yeah. Dave is the the student who didn't bring their textbook to class and has to look at their neighbor's screen. Dave yeah. is the student who sits in the front row and has a story every time the teacher talks. Yeah, but do, well, that's 
100 percent true about me as a child i don't know if that's this situation um you know maybe i'm the person who's leading the meeting i don't need to take notes i'm leading the meeting right you're the secretary i'm not unprepared i'm I'm the leader that's how it is um so thank you fred the fifth um but what they have swapped in for for thing in the ice was a card from eldraine called improbable alliance which in case you're not familiar with it is an enchantment that costs a blue and a red and it says whenever you draw your second card on a turn you get a 1-1 one, one blue flying fairy token. It is certainly improbable it appeared in any decks. Yeah, and it appeared in a 5-0. That'll be out, I guess, tomorrow probably. Um, and there's also an activated ability on the enchantment that is four red-blue draw a card, then discard a card. This card, I played this against Shane last night for a while, uh, and it was actually pretty fun. Hold on. This deck only has one Crackling Drake? You had that on the board like every game we played. Well, I played. T- I put two in. Yeah, that's smart. I put two in. I took out one improbable alliance, yeah, so I only good. had three alliances. Are you ever able to draw two cards at instant speed on your opponent's turn? 100%. Oh, because yeah. the other thing I changed about Fred the Fifth's deck is that they had four charter course and only two thrill of possibilities. And so I switched it so that I had three thrill of possibilities and three charter course. So I had seven effects to draw two cards on my opponent's turn because I have uh, four is a term. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the times I was drawing two cards on their turn, drawing two cards on my turn, drawing two cards on their turn. Two cards on my turn even. Yeah, it was great. You weren't even even there. I was drawing two cards on your turn. Multiplayer worked great. Now, the thing that was interesting is that like – this card was much more of like a buying me time, blocking things kind of value that's engine. That's all you need, though. Yeah, that's was, really nice. Because what I was doing was just holding down the ground with things until I got Crackling Drake online. So the way that it played in the games that I played so far with it, though, is is it's kind of like Crackling Drake dot deck. It's not so much phoenix right phoenix is just an upside but you have a lot of ways to protect the crackling drake from like fight based removal which is pretty popular right now like i i dropped a a wicked wolf and i was like oh cool i get to like sacrifice this food get it up to you know uh four power get this crackling drake off the board and it was just like lightning axe it's like but i mean that's a little bit more because, like, I knew what you were going to do, and I held my removal spell until well, you that's, had that's to what do good magic it. players do. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not just, that it's good, it's that I'm better. Well, I, yeah, <clears throat> not saying that, but it's, I don't know how good it's going to turn out overall, but it was a, it was a fun deck to play. So that, that's what I've been doing in Pioneer. I think I'm definitely going to go back to Feather a few more times. That wraps up our very personalized breakdown for this very personalized episode. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to go down memory lane, talk about the last year in podcasting, the last year in Magic the Gathering, and the love that keeps it all together. Stay with us. Twenty nineteen was a very dynamic year in Magic the Gathering. We got new sets, new cards, new strategies. New formats, new podcasts, new streamers, 5-0 deck dumps every week, a lot of tournament results, a lot of great content, and a ton of great stories. So on this very special year-in review episode, redo, redo that sentence. No, so spe- on this no, very special, special, special. Spe- no, special is a portmanteau that we have to leave in. <laughs> <laughs> Make it a pet. I was on a roll. I can't redo that. I, I just, don't know. Just say, so on this. No, no, no. I think we leave this in. I think it's specialable. Okay. I'm, I'll, I'll die on that hill. Just read. Just read. Just read. It's extremely specialable. So on this very special year in review of the dive down, we're going to go over some of our favorite moments from this year in magic, our favorite moments of this year in podcasting, and some of the memories we look back on and 
Heck, I'll say it. Blush. So what do you think, guys? Do we just start with just the... Do we just go straight to uh, Best Picture? Best top episode of the year? You mean you want to go directly to patting ourselves on the back instead well, of talking about magic over the year? Someone once called podcast a very self-congratulatory medium. And looking over this episode, it's like two pats on the back and my mom is there with my like A-plus paper on the fridge. And then she gives it to the president is really how I feel right now. <laughs> but not this president. Yeah. Well, you know, four dudes did decide to get together and share our, our wealth of knowledge with the nation. The na- Everyone needed this. Listen, Another I consistently for one on a monthly basis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. <laughs> Let's talk about the episodes that we remember the best. Yeah. Zach. Sure. I think I'll start with a really special episode for me, which is <laughs> really the math episode. And this is one that I dreaded like planning for I fought against us doing I you were afraid of it I, I feel like I almost fake sick to not be on this episode <laughs> I swear to god mom says I can't podcast yeah, this my, week my mom says I gotta go home and rake the yard <laughs> but I stuck it through and I learned so much like this is an episode where it was you and Dave sort of like adjusting your ties and like getting like your TA portfolio ready and I was there like I, I guess I'll learn I don't know but when I was in the moment and like I began to think about magic non-emotionally or maybe quote unquote not in a red mage way and like began to think about, OK, so don't concede because maybe draw another card and maybe think about how I can get you out. Like we talked about a few episodes ago, if I can draw a hazard or a bolt, how do I get to a situation where either of those draws win me the game? And obviously applying that beyond probability, but just about deck building other things. I think this was the level up that I was keeping myself from having because of my distaste of math at a collegiate level or a high school level. But you can separate that. This isn't trigonometry. This is probability, which is easier and more fun, right? So for me, the best episode this year at a personal level was math because I got to level up and learn and have fun with my friends. And that's, you know, that's specialable for me. Super interesting to hear you say that. I was very surprised. I hated the episode before, during the first half. But after that break partway through where I realized that numbers can't hurt me, things are different now. I mean, they can't hurt me, but, you know. Yeah, a different kind of hurt. Uh, The thing that I remember the most about that particular episode was just it was actually kind of hard to put together. And when we were concepting it, I felt like it was going to be easy yes. for us to come up with a whole bunch of rules of thumb. They seem so easy at first. We were like, don't why they? don't we just like come up with all these like fun rules of thumb about like. What a blast. Math. Like, yeah. Math one man hand, bro. Chill. It's cool. Yeah. And it just turned out that it was so hard to do things that were reductive <laughs> in that way that people hadn't already written about. Right. Also, so, you know, we came up with a limited number of things that I think we contributed in a way that were kind of fun. And then a lot of it was. I mean, that episode was our love letter to Dr. Frank Karsten. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, Come thanks, on our Frank. show. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And so um, it, it's interesting to hear. And I remember that was the one that I probably fretted about the notes as far as my contribution went for the most because I have a really clear memory of like my wife went out on a Saturday night and I think I wrote notes for like my wife. five or six hours trying to figure, find things, like do experiments to see things that turn into like interesting math tidbits. And I was just like, yeah. Whoa. So you're doing math experiments when you had free time when your wife is out of the house? Yeah, I was producing content for this podcast. That's what I do Plugging to relax. numbers into a geometric mm-hmm. calculator. Running yeah, simulations. Exactly. Hyper-geometric. Mm-hmm. Boop, boop, boop. Seven lands will equal maximum draws. I had seriously like had five hypergeometric calculator tabs open at a time. I'm just like, this idea, this idea. This to idea. someone who doesn't know what that means, it sounds so futuristic. Yeah, it sounds like something oh, from is. Star Trek data. Okay. Hey, Dave, what are yours though? So I have a particular soft spot for, I think, two 
episodes that we did. One is the blue white control, which is uh, called my uh, my other son is also no my son is also named Teferi. Is it my my son is also named Teferi? Yeah, yeah I don't know right. the Simpsons joke. It, yeah, that you guys reference. My son there. is also named Bort. Yeah, perfect. Um, that one I really liked because it just Definitely. let me it let me talk about my favorite thing in Magic, which is card advantage, drawing cards, all that kind of stuff, and got me gave me a chance to do a little bit of the uh, origin story of Dave, which now I've realized we've talked about like four times, um, which is just too, like the Joker. It's too, multiple choice too much in 50 episodes. But anyway, I really enjoyed the blue white one because of that. And I felt like that was just a good kind of solid dive down episode in the sense that we looked at an archetype. We talked about what made it run. I listened to that one again the other night just to like see how we felt about it. And I, I still feel like it was pretty good content. So that, that was a fun one. Um, the other one that I thought was interesting that kind of sticks with me a little bit is the one that was called Surgical Precision, where mm. we – it was the first one where we, where we did a deep down on a single card and all the stuff that went into when to think about and why to play Surgical Extraction. I was nervous about this episode. I think yeah. we're nervous about every episode. But. Yeah, that's true. That episode, the Surgical Precision episode, has one of my favorite pull quotes. Oh, really? It's the Shaneism, where you asked Shane – what makes right now okay to run surgical main? And Shane goes, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> I don't think it's okay. That, that's, <laughs> the, that's the origin of I don't think it's okay. I, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It, it's such a Shaneism that I thought it predated me joining this friend group and just went, I don't guess oh, I don't it, get the it, reference. It, 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 this is the most recent context for it. <laughs> what a legacy to leave on this earth. Yeah. Shane, I don't think it's okay beeps. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so those are the two that I remember the best. So for me, it's kind of a random one. And I just remember the feeling I had both making this episode and then hearing it back. And it was the Modern Horizons set review part two. Good one. Very specific. It's like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Empire Strikes Back, (laughs) Spider-Man 2. Is is that Revenge of the Green Goblin? Attack of Doc Ock. (laughs) I just really love Modern Horizons 2. No, that was... but No, What? (laughs) <laughs> I should know I, his name. I think I he'd be a good Dr. Octopus. He'd be a great Dr. Octopus. Ooh, a little more pizzazz than we're used to, but I could sure dig it. Yeah. Yeah. So we had made that episode on the heels of Modern Horizon Set Review Part 1. So I think we <laughs> like... Really? It's a sequential <laughs> naming we had there. It wasn't just a floating <laughs> sequel. It wasn't a, a bit. <laughs> it made sense. And I guess we had a little bit of experience making that type of episode. It's not often that we make two episodes that are very similar in nature back to back. Sure. So I think we got to be a little more loose with it, have a, a little more fun recording and talking about it. And as a result, I thought the final product was really funny. And I got to hear us almost as ourselves more than like podcasters. Mm-hmm. And sometimes being a podcaster, like you hear yourself differently. Podcast tours. You're a different right. person when you have a mic in front of you. But that one came out really naturally, really funny. I thought we made some pretty good calls, me especially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that history will show if anyone had access to the spreadsheets that I've burned that you did have probably the best calls. Um, for me, it's, a, it's a Sorry, for the fans, Stan did just dab in the studio. Yeah. I just went with the one I remember enjoying the recording the most, which was episode 32, which is Down and Out at Denver MCQ. You know, it's one of my favorites. I had Dave, Stan, Zach in my house. We were sitting around my dining room table. We were talking about our experiences at Magic Fest Denver, chatted about what cards would make our modern power nine. It was just a, a novel episode. It was a lot of fun to create and hang out with my buddies. That was the first time we started talking about Leyline of Combustion. Oh, yes, it was. And it's been 22 episodes running ever since. <laughs> 
I own four pre-release foils now, and I'm happy. I love the foil stamp real quick on the pre-release cards because it's like a historical document. It's fun to be able to know. I know when M20 came out because it says so here on this card. Wait, did you upgrade from regular ley lines to ones with the stamp? Uh, Dave, if there's one thing to know about me, it's that I buy red cards and then I rebuy them in foil. That's true. Anywhere from an hour to two years later. Perfect. David, there's another thing to know about Layla of Combustion. That card is like 50 cents, even in foil. Oh, so no worries on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll never tell. Spec, 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 spec. Shane, I'm sorry I interrupted your story. Oh, it's quite all right. That was that was the end of it. <laughs> it's a good anecdote. Do, do I want to have like a subcategory, like favorite level up episode or like favorite dive down? I had a favorite dive down for sure. What was it? Tron. Really? <gasps> Tron, so antithetical to my style of play. Dave left midway through recording once again. He just bounced. Did I really? I think I no, did. No, you came back. You, you got in your Lambo. You let me talk for like five minutes and you got a beer. That was the deck that I just remember playing it for science and loving every minute of it. And I now think of it as the type of deck that I would love to own, but fully realize I would never actually play. It would just sit in a deck box forever because it doesn't share cards with any other strategy. That's the best part about it. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, this was the first time, because we are using Mana Traders at that time, that I had played a deck that I never would have played in paper. Mm-hmm. I don't own really I own Bluetron, which is not the same, not comparable. I'm not about to buy the Karn 7 drops, etc. So it was the first time I had ever played and seriously considered competitively playing a deck that I was not in my wheelhouse that I was not used to. So even though I, I ended up not loving the deck, it totally opened the horizons for me of what modern could be outside of my mono-red budget. That's how I felt about uh, mono-red prison, sure. actually. It was like a deck I would never play. Typically, I don't have a ton of the cards, but... You know, renting it for that week, playing it for the for the deep dive. It was awesome. I had a ton of fun with it, and it was a blast. Yeah, I really enjoyed that episode, too, because for me, it felt like a level-up moment in that it was really like turning in like my senior thesis in that I'd spent all this time playing these red decks. Now it's time to show what you know, right? You know, it's it's one thing to go forward your LGS, another thing to say why you went for it and how you did it and how sure. to optimally do it. So for me, it was a big moment of, oh, cool, I'm doing a big time. I'm doing a big time. Zach Callahan, 2019. <laughs> I think the dive down or the deck dive that I liked the most was the dredge episode. It's oh, definitely sure. the one I'm the most proud of that episode. It was one of our earlier ones. It was like 16. Oh, I definitely. Think. Yeah, yeah. And I just had, I put a lot of effort into that. It was something that I think was a lot of good information. I think it encapsulated some of the complexity of dredge in, you know, as, as bite sized as we can be into our episodes and I, I think that it gave people good information and it gave me you know a lot of information about you know really how is dredge working and I, i'm i'm still happy with that one but i think the most fun i had was mono red even though dredge is dead you're still happy with that one well it's every- dredge is dead midrange is dead humans is dead is shane dead i'm a robot i mean he is a spirit mm, now quite mm. a bit can you put a ghost into a bot we'll talk about that later hmm wasn't that the plot of uh, a Ghost bunch of in stuff? The machine? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Ghost in the Machine, right? And maybe possibly the Matrix. Uh, battery, batteries not included. Lana, Stuart come on our podcast. <laughs> you think that there are human spirits in the in the robots? Oh, and yeah. batteries not included. Those, those little, those little uh, hamburgers. <laughs> Johnny Johnny Five was alive. Is oh, that, yeah. is Johnny, that what the Johnny, tagline should have been? Johnny it's Five a human soul in anguish tethered to this mechanical beast. <laughs> John, Johnny Five was removed me from this fleshy torment. <laughs> I have no mouth and I must scream. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> All right. So that's enough like self congratulations. Okay. Oh, now it's favorite time for episode. Self flagellation. Right? Yeah. Right. So let's let's talk. One of the other things that we've done a bunch of times here is evaluate new cards and their fits for the uh, the modern format. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about our best and worst takes for the for the year of the cards that were spoiled this year? Stan, you look like maybe you're ready to go. Do you want to go first or do you want somebody else to go first? Stan, Stan, Stan. Sure, but I'll start with the bad news first. Okay. Dovin, Grand Arbiter from Ravnica Allegiance. I called it Bitter Blossom plus Dig Through Time, and I was wrong. I pre-ordered four foils, Stan. <laughs> because it's even better. <laughs> And I'm so happy I did. I don't even remember what that card does. It's like Bitter Blossom, but better. Yeah, it's, it's like, got like a plus one, whereas anytime a creature deals combat to a player, you get to tick him up. Yeah, you get to put loyalty based on how much damage. Yeah, and it's minus makes stopters or servos, and then okay. it's ultimate is, I think, Dig Through time. time. Yeah. At the time of recording this episode, I looked on MTG Goldfish, and I found a single deck <laughs> that ran. And, it, it, and, and I don't mean like... It was in this deck's archetype. I just found blue-white flyers in standard and one copy of blue-white oh, flyers standard. in like some 5-0 list had a single Dovin in its sideboard. So Perfect. they're scraping the barrel, right? But what you did is you deconstructed the barrel, recycled it, charred it, and then used that ash to grow a no Dovin tree mm-hmm. and then called that the original barrel. Basically, yeah. Okay, great, yeah. So if MTGO user Hieronymus Mosh listens to the dive down, Tweet at me about if you've ever even cast this card <laughs> and how busted good it was when you did. Awesome. Hieronymus Mosh is an incredible Mitko screen name. Anybody else have any favorite Magic Online screen names they've seen from other people? We can each share one. I mean, we're all going to say Blaze It 420, right? <laughs> no, I have a On different four one. On four-color burn or five-color burn? Yeah. All right, love it. Oh, Zach? So. I don't know if it's the best, but they keep beating me in leagues, and it's Gargamel, but the G is a six. And I feel like every time, and like I see them in dumps all the time, but every time I play them, it's not the deck they're on the dump with. And I feel like I'm getting them when they're in their off league and they're just beating me for their 4 1. Mm-hmm. Babe, I'm going to steal yours. No, don't. What's my, what is it? Pastor of Muppets. Oh, you just <laughs> pulling the string. That is my favorite one. Pastor of Muppets is my favorite. My favorite when will James name. Hetfield come on our podcast? We keep inviting him. He his publicist said, was, "Was that the one you had in mind?" Oh yeah, Pastor oh, Muppets poop. is so good. He, all right, you took it. He's pulling the strings. I don't he know what you want from the me. Strings. Yeah, Pastor of Muppets. I'm impressed you guys can even remember these. Like this is a name I saw so like three or four years, years ago. All right. Anyway, all right. My best take. Yep. The good news. I think I've been getting better at card evaluation over the course of this podcast because on the last picks to click up for Throne of Eldraine. I declared Brazen Borrower as a better Vendillion click. Big, I, I did it. I, you did literally say that I, that early. I, I think I, you did. I think yeah. I posited that this might be the card that replaces V click. Yeah. To quote you, I can have this debate on air now if you want to, but I think this is better than Vendillion <laughs> that click. Was, that was after playing it, though. He's talking about during spoilers. Time's season. a flat circle, Dave. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. We experience everything simultaneously when it's a podcast. <laughs> I mean, of all the cards that. We picked a click. This is the one that has gone up in value. I think three of my four co-hosts now own this card, if not a play set of it. Wait, wait oh, two, yeah. two of your? Two no. of my, Three out of four dive down hosts approve of Brazen Borrower. I'll be in the cold, dead ground. Yeah. I have five of them now. Because hey. I, I opened a showcase he, one randomly. He's buying the ones I won't buy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great card. It's way better than I thought it was going to be. I think I keep looking back at that um, Thrones of Eldraine clicks 
picks to click episode and kind of like thinking about the stuff that we talked about on there. Cause you know, we were kind of like medium on the adventure mechanic, but noted that there's a good chance that there were a lot of cards that could be good from it, depending on how great it was to have a card that was really two cards. Turns out it's really good. And there's a ton of playable adventures. Um, same thing with the kind of draw the second card mechanic. That's yeah. what I was thinking about with creeping that improbable up alliance is like, that's a maybe in pioneer. So I've mentioned bone crusher giant as a big fan favorite or personal favorite. Yeah. And I think we are right that the adventures, none of them are broken, right? Like all of them are a pretty big commitment and if it's countered, it's super bad. So best case, it's an expensive modal spell. Most of the time it's just, you know, a multiple installment plan, but none of them are, are too good. And I really like where a lot of them are. Like I like that they're seeing play and I like that they're popping up. I think it's also worth noting, though, at the time of that episode, we didn't know that Pioneer was a thing. No. And the adventure spells are quite a bit better in Pioneer than Ain't modern. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Yeah, a lot of them are. I mean, Brazen Borrower, I think, is modern power power level. It's legacy playable. It's in a yeah. bunch of legacy lists. I think, don't talk about that here. I think the Bone Crusher is, a, is probably the next one from there. The Murderous uh, Rider. Murderous Rider is not quite good enough for modern, but it, you don't think but so? I think you see it you like as a so? you see it as a one or two of occasionally. It's a little too expensive. I mean, it's nice that it's searchable with Traverse the Ul involved, for example. Yeah. But um, so it's like a little bit better than a Shriek Maw. Yeah, exactly. No one's talking about that card here. <laughs> so, Zach. What did you think were your kind of best and worst? So I think that I called the Strandras, the new ones, the three and the six as being good. And I stand by that. I mean, caveat, maybe more in Pioneer than Modern. But the six drop in Modern and Sideboards has been amazing for me. And being able to fight against the blue-white, which is typically a very bad red matchup, has been good. But in Pioneer, like we mentioned, it's allowed me to play this whole new archetype and deck strategy so i just think i like this sort of planeswalker tribal builds that are emerging and being more supported yeah. for my worst call though uh, this is this is really tough to say i did mention that davriel from war might push eight rack into 10 rack and be good yeah. and i will i will say that all of you were Soft supportive to medium supportive sure. of me. I don't. I didn't feel thrust into the air with two heavy hands, but one soft hand and Zach, one Zach, looking at Zach. yeah. Well, a soft Zach and ooh Instagram notification. Nice. <laughs> so I thought that this was going to propel eight rack from the fringes of playability into the powerful tier two of modern, but right now Davriel is just appearing in mono black pioneer list, and not some sort of discard fun strategy just mono black mid-range that plays this makes you discard a card and gets value yeah so i and it's it's not that i just wanted it to be good at such a level that i feel like i poured myself into it and hyped it up to a degree that it could maybe have never lived to but say lovey well it was good for a while Right. There was a while where Tenrak sure. was seeing more play, and I think Modern is just at a point now where Davriel and eight rack strategies in particular aren't up to snuff. Right. A, a three-mana payoff that is a build-around is not where you want to be when your opponent goes, cool, Urza? Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of absurd how much... I mean, the power level Modern's always there, and so we, we've talked a lot about cards that could have made it, but... It's the value cards that seem to make the biggest impact in Modern the, and not so much the build-around ones. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll go next. Um, I think my my podcast gave me a couple bones, especially in the War of the Spark episode when I got Karn the Great Creator. What now? And Blasto, and I got thrown some bones. Okay. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Please um, don't say that we gave you bones. He's a dog. Shane the dog. 
Bow, wow, wow. E-B-O, E-B-A. Um, my current, the great creator in Blast Snoop Dogg, come on our podcast. Just, such, such easy tee-ups. Like, my feelings on them were validated. I mean, the cards have proven themselves to be modern staples. Karn, the great creator, we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Turns out. Yeah, it turns out uh, surprisingly good. And turns out com- invented a completely or updated a completely self-contained branch of decks basically yeah. i mean it's just any any deck that can that can win a long game is gonna run you know, can run karn at least i do want to say very quickly that i was listening to old episodes in preparation for this one and we were all worried that karn was going to be super ubiquitous yeah. and turn up in a ton of decks mm. but it turned out i i think it turns out in a lot of big mana decks are decks able to use it but it doesn't feel like every deck is just using it. And even big mana decks, like you mentioned, the sideboard commitment is huge. And yeah. like Eldrazi Tron, obviously good there, very good there. But in general, it's not like it's a free card to run. It's a big opportunity cost in the end. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's in, just to be clear, it's in Devoted Druid combo. Sure, big mana. It's in it's in Mono Red Prison and Eldrazi Tron. Sure, big in, mana. Or is it mid-range? It's in Simic or no, Big mana, yeah, Tron. absolutely. Oh, okay. Amulet Dave, we're saying the same Tron thing. Tron and Amulet Titan, yeah, depending. I get, Tron is switched back to it, you're right. You only Red Prison. In, big mana, yeah. like, we, like we said for the second time. Yeah, Urza, Urza mid-range, a big mana deck. Well, yeah. you know, Urza Actually, does make mana. Kind of. This country was built on big mana, okay, Sam? Yeah. Why does Urza make mana? You know what's funny? Though? <laughs> In all this discussion, though, guys, I, I think that Blast Zone is the more mistake level of a card. Oh, it's no. It's simply really? just too good. I agree. what it does. Because I lost a, a Pioneer round to it yesterday. <laughs> Any card that I lose to should be banned, is what I think. Well, <laughs> ignoring Zach's results are in thinking. I don't. Um, I, I think that it just really is just too easy to run and like invalidates a lot of hate type strategy i just i think that blast zone is just it's too easy to run then why is hardly anyone playing it yeah you don't see i, you I play a lot of modern and i never see it <laughs> i never see it are you kidding no it's so important in, in eldrazi tron and like and it's in green tron it's big man it in the sideboard yeah. big, also a big mana deck yes yeah yeah, when I would, since I've been playing Shadow a lot. I also a big mana deck, yeah. Right, yeah. You know mana. what it is? Maybe I never see it. If it's in the sideboards, who would bring it in against like blue-red mm, control? It's usually yeah. not in the sideboard, but for a lot of big mana decks, it is main board. Right. But they're like not. Goblins, also a big mana deck. <clears throat> they're not searching it up against you if you're blue-red, though. Like, right. Also a big it, mana deck? Please. That's enough with the big mana <laughs> okay. decks. Um, you know, a deck with Expedition Map is using that as a way to search it up and so they're bringing it in against shadow and things like that so i can understand with you have a diversity of threats or spells to that they have to interact with instead maybe they're not bringing it up but it's everywhere i, f- I feel okay. like i fight it all the time yeah and my worst take i wasn't on the m20 episode in the end but the the card i had picked out was brought back <laughs> and that card hasn't done a single thing as I got to say, I, I feel like we, well, I was looking through our M20 episode and I feel like we whiffed on a whole bunch that of was, stuff. That was, that was a big punt. Just in the sense that we, we didn't pick like the best, best cards. Like nobody said anything about Field of the Dead, which yeah. I know we're talking about modern and specifically there we were talking about modern still because Pioneer hadn't been announced, but it's just a powerful card. And good and modern. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've lost to it out of Amulet Titan. Amulet Titan plays Field of Dead. Banned I just, Pioneer. I yeah. just get so upset. Well, yeah. And it's like, oh, good. I dealt with the primeval Titans. I'm, I'm good to go. And then they're right. like, Field of the Dead. Here's 12 zombies. And I'm like, 
I guess you still win. For what it's worth, I think we called the red cards good, which is... <laughs> you mean you did? No, St- Stan had Fry. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Stan had yeah. Fry. I had the two Chandras. I also had Chandra's Regulator, which is a miss for sure, except for this one French deck and Pioneer. But I think we called the three drop, six drop, and Fry. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. We are the... Are we a modern red podcast? I like to imagine. I it. think we're the the number one Chandra fan cast. Oh, <laughs> Dave, I think you have some interesting uh, hits and misses here. My number one hit. I, d- I do want to say, I think that card evaluation has been really fun on the podcast and it's one of the best things that we get to do. I think everybody loves evaluating spoilers. I also love that we took the time to kind of like come up with a couple of pointers for people who want to evaluate their own cards. So I think that, you know, if you ever want to, Check out one of those. I think that that makes that kind of evergreen content to be able to go back and listen to some of the things we're thinking about modern. I do think that going into 2020, the rules for card evaluation in modern are going to change and are have changed already in the wake of Modern Horizons, the ubiquity of three mana planeswalkers. I think there's going to be other stuff that we're looking for going forward. So let's, let's see how that evolves from here. So I think the card that I'm the most interested about going back to because I thought it was good, and I think everybody else did not think it was good, was Finale of Devastation, which is a card that I've like never actually cast myself. But well, it's, it's definitely green. found a – it's green. <laughs> yeah. And found a home in a deck that I would never really play, which is the Devoted Druid combo deck. But um, I thought it was close enough to Green Sun Zenith in colors that had kind of powerful combo cards out there for a slightly cheaper mana cost. That made it kind of better than and eventually outmoded both Collected Company and Corner Calling in that mm-hmm. deck. And so I think it's interesting in a format where we already had a whole bunch of powerful options for tutors that this card was able to come in and be even better than those ones. Part of that's because it can get a card from the graveyard, I guess, on the sure. random occasion yeah. where you have one of your payoff cards in the graveyard. But also that it can turn your whole, you know, it can make your team gigantic and basically kill them with an attack if you want to go that way instead so i thought that that was a really a really good card and everybody hated that card in the spoiler episode I, really i called it a better or similar green sun zenith so please yeah. you okay you're with me i'm surprised i hated it i'm not check the tapes card you, stinks you gave it a swirling i still wouldn't play it uh, <laughs> you couldn't pay me to play that card i cracked one and i sold it nah. no, of course you would. I it threw it in the gutter. yeah yeah the uh the second card that i had that i kind of liked as far as like my picks go, were uh, light up the stage. Oh yeah, true. Which I, I was really was impressed a, when you called that, and like that really came true. It was a little bit of like under the radar. I think that a good tip was that it was going to be an FNM promo. Still, to that was something that was worth taking a look at. But spectacle is just so clearly like a powerful mechanic, and I feel like in our discussion of modern, at least us kind of breaking down why spectacle was a good mechanic for modern was kind of a big moment for us as a podcast, as far as like trying to help people figure out how to evaluate cards. So, light at the stage, staple, only in some decks, right? But great card nonetheless. Interesting that it doesn't really have that much of a home in Pioneer as much as it has in, in Modern, just because there are so many more uh, cheap spells in Modern than there are in Pioneer. Yeah, I get some play in the mono red decks. I think they're sort of, they're moving interestingly, sorry for the digression here, but sure. they're moving interestingly towards kind of like the mono red standard deck before rotation, which is very experimental frenzy and runaway steamkin based, which then could leverage things like light up the stage really well. And it's kind of becoming like that with with the benefits of the formats before that. And so kind of that's its end game is like a frenzy runaway steamkin, light up the stage type deck. Yep. 
I think that could be great. I'm going to take a look at that later tonight and see if I want to play that in Pioneer. Uh, I think the worst call that I had this year was that I thought that Risen Reef might be good enough mm. for Modern. <laughs> Just because it drew a lot of cards and maybe put lands into play based off of elemental triggers. Now, you know, that seems pretty good still to me. But it is a three a CMC 1-1 one, one that does nothing other than draw you cards. I mean, that's just like, not good enough. There was like that four hour period where Edgar from team Lotus box had built an elemental deck with it in there. <laughs> and it looked like maybe your chickens had come home to roost Yeah, for a moment. And then there was another deck that was like, why don't we play the three drop Chandra from M20 and risen reef so that we can put two elementals into play and just make risen reef have two triggers every turn. Not good enough. So we did more than pick cards. We also played and picked up brand new decks. Is that true? Zach, we had this little format that mm. really made us famous called Sleeve, Believe, Heave. Ooh, yes. That did pay for the Lambo and the Corvette. Right. That's how I, Chrysler. That's how I bought my pool, my above ground pool. <laughs> On top of the below ground pool. <laughs> it's a real deep pool. <laughs> Our previous episode that I was not on and you were not on, Stan. Mm-hmm. You want to come clean here. A collaboration. Was was I on it? You were on that. Okay. Yeah. Was the collaboration with the wonderful, two of the wonderful hosts of Faithless Brewing. Yeah. Thank you, Dan and Damon again. And we talked about their kind of um, definitive deck, like their reputation establishing deck, I guess. The five color Niv to Light deck. You guys talked about it. And I got a nice shout out in the middle of the the discussion about about the deck where um, I th- you were talking about, well, where did pe- the people on Dive Down first hear about it? Yeah, and you it w- took note of it. You wanted to play it. It was, in fact, because I gave it a try on our Sleeve Believe episode for War of the Spark. Now, this is where the, the story between truth and fiction kind of diverge a little bit because... Malleable. Right. I, I kind of trashed the deck on the episode a little. Not trashed uh, it, but not, I was no. I was very medium, not totally nice about it. And so I just feel like I have to apologize at this point now that it's a bit of a format kind of like tier 1.5 two plus kind of staple deck that lots of people we know, you know, Lawson from our, our group has been doing a ton of work on that, getting a bunch of five O's Dan and Damon, both, you know, Cashed. In, I mean, well, yeah. they came in 40th and 42nd at a yeah, pretty good with that. It's pretty amazing. I, I didn't have the same experience with that deck when I took it through a couple of leagues, but I will say it's a much different deck than it was when I played it. No, absolutely. And I listened to that episode last night, no joke. And when I listened, I it was literally a line was drawn where it was me and you on the side of this deck's not good enough. And then Shane and Stan for some reason going, No, this is it. This is the truth. But well, I, I don't know if they said that they said that they believed in um, it. Well, it's <laughs> nothing like in my story, I'm eleven feet tall. Right. Right. One of the things that stood out to me from the Faithless Brewing collab episode mm-hmm. was when Dan mentioned that Arkham's Astrolabe is hands down one of the absolute best cards in the deck. I think that was Damon, actually, but yes. So, but building on top of that, what I'm saying is me and Dave weren't so quote-unquote nice, but our criticism was legitimate. It was that the mana base for this deck feels a little wonky right now. Yeah. And that it's very hard to figure out how to cast these cards. And this is before Modern Horizons. Right. And then Modern Horizons happens, and like Stan just mentioned, you get Astrolabe, you get Renin Six, you get Prismatic Vista. There's a whole bevy of cards that push this deck for me to being like, because before I'm like, hey, th- like, doesn't Blood Moon just shut down this deck? And it did. And I mentioned that on yeah. yeah. And like, I'm like, no, no, no. I can still ramp out with my Domri Anarch of Bolas. <laughs> yeah, literally, exactly. My three drop right, Planeswalker right. that just gives me an extra mana. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so for me, this is a, a sort of a shared 
bad sleeve believe heave with right. me and Dave, but it was more that we saw this deck and then immediately got upgraded. So I think our criticism was valid and that the mana base then and mana questions then were iffy, but now I think the deck has really coalesced and has found a better way to cast the five-color trade binder that it is. Yeah. Stan, did you, did you blow any sleeve believe heave picks this year? Well, I had some good memories with <laughs> our sleeve believe heave episodes, and I think this is a nice chance to bury a friend. Because one of my sleeve believe heave decks was red black skelemental. No, oh. He'll come right back if you bury him. Don't bury him. <laughs> a deck that died with faithless looting. We can bring faithless looting back. I think. No, no, no. We're gonna no. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> you know, yeah. for a while that deck was putting up consistent five O's. It kind of developed this red black mid range strategy for a minute, and I think it had power, consistency, and some great matchups. And then Faithless Looting got banned, and suddenly it lost a ton of that consistency. Surprisingly. And I, w- I will admit, I tried making it work with some other tools. I tried using Stitcher Supplier. Um, what's that? One mana, not Goblin Lore, but Burning Inquiry. Yeah. And uh, just spinning your wheels, you know, out into the blank unknown is not as good. And uh, it's kind of sad to think I may never get to play Skelementals again because those cards are it's so cool. Unearth lost a lot of power, I think, at the same time. Remember so that? So that was a great deck. I got I'm, smashed by a Skelemental the other night in the league, by the way, that someone brought back with a Thunderkin Awakener. Skelemental! Skelemental! Look out. Stan, why not Merchant of the Veil? I haven't tried that yet. <gasps> I haven't tried that yet, but I think not being able to put two cards in the yard is a downgrade. Sure. And not being able to draw two cards is a downgrade as well. Like, mm, yeah. It's so weird how that works. So sometimes yeah, discarding cards can be good, but not all the time. Listen, one of these days, we'll get a new format where Faithless Looting is legal again. And then I will... <laughs> What's it going to be called, Dan? What's it going to be called? It's called Legacy. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> I uh, I think my worstly believed deck, the one that is the most forgotten, was blue black Narset. Yeah, days undoing. Yes, prison combo kind of. Yeah, basically prevent your opponent from ever drawing cards. You know when that deck was around, and I think even in the sleeve believe heave episode, we knew that Modern Horizons was on the horizon, <laughs> and there was a lot of speculation that Force of Will might be included because. We thought they were going to introduce a bunch of legacy cards. By people with questionable judgment. Yes. I just wanted Counterspell. Was that so wrong? Yes. Yes. And I recall at the time saying, if Force of Will is ever printed, this is going to be a great deck for it. We got Force of Negation almost as good, and yet that did not elevate the deck at all. Yeah. I think one of the takeaways, the the lessons to learn from that specifically, believe he even, and our hindsight is that Narset doesn't need a ton of work to be good. It, it doesn't have to be a build-around card. Yeah, sure. it's just good. Just put it in every deck. Yeah. <laughs> any deck that has blue. Literally any deck that has blue. In or any an format. Astrolabe. In any format. Yeah. it's. I mean, it got restricted in vintage. Yes. Yeah, so which is you wild. You can only play one in vintage. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of fun stuff to talk about with my sleeve leave heaves. Like, the, I think the thing that I'll talk about is, I guess, my most accurate take, which I guess I would say is like the Bant Infect sleep believe heave episode which I, I reviewed after scale up dropped in modern horizons and so people were very hyped to see if in fact had what it took to come back to be the tier one scourge of the meta and you know i think that 
I pegged it pretty well. Like the the deck is still skirting around the fringes of modern playability again. When even but even in these low interaction metas, that's not really showing up to you know be 10, 11% of the metagame again. There, there's some fans who don't want to put it down, and that's totally fine. I think the deck has what it takes to be a great FNM deck. It can day two if you're good with it. But I think that uh, I, I still think that it's not where the all-in aggro deck that you want to play any longer. And um, I think I'm fine with that. I mean, Giver of Runes? Yeah, it ran- yeah Giver of Runes didn't do Antiferi. quite as much as anybody Antiferi. thought. Yeah, Antiferi too. Which in that deck, I guess, is not what you need to be doing. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe people aren't just testing it enough. What do I know? Not that much. Why do you have a podcast then? Well, that's what my wife asks. <laughs> Shouldn't you be better if you have a podcast? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, mom. I hear that, I hear that more, more often than I want. <laughs> this is why I never tell my fiance my results. <laughs> you want her to think that you're one one win away from the pro tour all the I'll, time. I'll isn't have, that necessarily, isn't, that's pretty true. Yeah. I'll have you all know my 5-0 is on the fridge. That's right. Zach, how about you? Did you have any fond Sleeve Believe Heave memories? Yeah, for me, it's Red Black Goblins. And it felt like the fruition of me wanting red decks and sort of playing to a persona or what I like came to fruition in that moment. And it's good. And the deck is still around and still good. And I I didn't call all the cards right. And like we mentioned, I called Sling Lang Lieutenant maybe there. But then I played with it and said, oh, no, it's it's what the deck needs. But it's fun to see, you know, this deck on the fringes of modern get the tools it needs from Modern Horizons slash M20 and some other sets to coalesce into just a solid, good deck. And I like Red Black Goblins. I don't own a lot of the cards in paper. But for me, it is a solid, good, reliable option. Is that the Grum Gully combo goblins? No. So that's a different deck as well. I think that's good. But yeah, for this me- This is when you say like Pashalik Mons. Yeah, yeah. This is the one right after Modern Horizons where you're using, like I said, Singing Lieutenant, Goblin Matron, and Vile to do just a lot of really fun things. And when Grum Gully came, I think that's when it coalesced into like, whoa, goblins now has two options. Because I think that Red Black Vile Goblins is real, which is what I'm talking about right now. But like Stan mentioned, I think the Jund Grum Gully is also a real build. So I like both of those if we want to expand it that far. And just like that Goblins is at a place where 8-Whack isn't the only viable variant. What a time to be alive. You get a Goblin. You get a Goblin. It's not Zach, though. These gullies have been grummed. All right, so that was a lot of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little less about the dive down. And let's actually talk about Magic the Gathering for a minute. Because we got, what, a new product every month, it seems like. (laughs) Every, yeah, every tw- yeah. 12 to 24 hours. A lot of powerful cards. The power level of MTG, Modern, and, you know, Pioneer, I guess is a pretty powerful format, really elevated this year. It was really clear that the delta between this year and last. Do you think, I mean, so you, that's been a popular thing that's going on on Twitter right now. Does everybody feel like that's true? Like, is that unequivocally true? That there's just been an incredible influx of powerful cards across all formats? I mean, Modern Horizons was unprecedented, right? And right. It, it, like people said, it felt like Modern rotated, and I wanted to fight that notion at first. But it's not that Modern rotated. It's that it's really hard to stay on top and not play Modern Horizons cards, right? Yeah. So, and like they're legal in other formats like Legacy, Vintage, and Commander. So for me, Modern Horizons aside, I feel like it was definitely a higher than normal power year, but not noteworthy. But Modern Horizons pushes it alongside these powerful push sets into yeah. a 
powerful, powerful, intense year. I mean, Eldraine was super powerful too, though, right? <sighs> well, I mean, yeah. In 22? Like... I think we have evidence. Just look at the number of bans that happened mm-hmm. this year across formats. Yeah, I do have three Eldraine cards in my deck too, so hey. Yeah, I mean, the many of the bans are from t- cards from 2019. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's true. Like, I there was a little bit of writing from Wizards of the Coast R&D talking about how they were self-consciously trying to up the power level of magic, new magic sets in general. Uh, I guess we'll see where the end point of that feels like, but interesting to note that in a year of super powerful cards, everybody has their favorites. Yeah. I think talking about like our favorite cards is good. Let's stay positive. We can get negative later. Cause Lord knows I want to. Yeah. Um, no. So Zach, I don't want to steal your picks because you, you chose mine. So just roll with what you have here, <gasps> my friend. What, do you want to do it at the same time? Okay, let's do it. Carn and, and Bone, Bone Crusher. Yeah, those are some great cards. Not yeah. together, really, in the same deck. I don't know why um, you insisted on saying them in mm, one sentence. Well, maybe you can look at my list later and scold me off Mike Dave. Oh, I'm not scolding. Do you have them in the no, same I, deck? No, okay. <laughs> no, no, but it's different reasons. Karn pushed Prison to a place where it was no longer a fringe deck where you had to really know the meta or get lucky. You still have to know the meta and get lucky, but you have other tools too. You have good cards and you have a malleable sideboard. Yeah, and, and it gave Tron more win conditions because sure. Lord knows it needed him. Eldrazi Tron maybe needed it. I don't know. I love Eldrazi Tron. I had fun with it when we did the deck dive. That's another great one to listen to. But I like Karn. I like what it did. And I like that it's a very good card, but very rarely is it just uh, you play it and win the game. There's a lot of decisions. There's a lot of deck building. There's a lot lot of mind games even that go into it. And Bonecrusher Giant, like we mentioned, I just love that sort of design space there with the adventure cycle. I love the damage can't be prevented text on the stomp side. It's mattered. Yeah, yeah. I've been able to, in response to a fog, stop something swing and win that's very fun and just the four three is cool too and i play it like i said in both modern and pioneer and it has a punisher effect your favorite thing mm-hmm. it's and worth noting it's only spells not abilities like leyland of combustion is mm-hmm. i have pointed to it before and go take two and my opponent went no why would i and then i read it and went have i been cheating i've been cheating <laughs> you're like why wouldn't i yeah why yeah not? Why wouldn't you take two? Mm, because that text is not on the card. That is why you would not take two. Okay, he dies. Okay, here go. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board for this. Many of the same reasons you mentioned. Like, I mean, we've talked a lot about Karn this year. I'm not going to go down the Karn rabbit hole any longer. But yeah, it's a great card. It gives you a lot of gameplay. It gives you a lot of decisions to make in your deck building and your sideboard construction. It makes you think when it's on the battlefield. And I think all those things are good. Um, I like the adventure cards in general, of which Bonecrusher Giant is, of course, an example. Like, I think that they're not the absurd types of two-for-ones that you're just always going to play in those colors. They're valuable without being ridiculous. I like that you get to put a creature in a novel space in the game that they kind of avoid wraths, but you get to, you're able to get them back without having to draw them. I think that's pretty cool. I think they add a lot of nuance to gameplay. And that is the best thing about magic is that we get all sorts of, even in 2019, in the last set of the quarter, you know, of the year, we get to have a, a mechanic that is going to see eternal play. And that's super cool. They're still creating things that are awesome and fun and interesting. You got to sell packs. Yeah, make game players happy. Stan, how about you? I mean, if I had to vote on the best card of the year, I don't want it to sound like I'm snubbing other good cards because <laughs> I'm not going to say Urza. I'm not going to say Oko. They're amazing. Well, it's your favorite card, Stan. Fairy Time Raveler. 
And it's not to say it's my favorite to play. I certainly hate when people play it against me. <laughs> I, I like casting it, sure. Sure. I just think what this card has done to magic is pretty insane and in how much it's elevated other cards around it. Spellqueller. Spellqueller, Stoneforge Mystic, mm-hmm. the cat combo. Meow. The way it just warps the rules of the game, I think, make it so important to respect. Such a powerful, unassuming engine nobody likes dealing with to fairy time cop. So, I like, yeah, I like I drawing know. a card after he bounces things. It's amazing. <laughs> it's the so best. <laughs> yeah. Why do you bounce and draw? I don't get it. Why not? It's amazing. You know, before Teferi Time Reveler, the three mana Planeswalker blue-white control decks got to play was Gideon of the Trials. Right. Um, rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> More than one way. I yeah. really liked that card too, but it's yeah. just not the same. No. So I think that my favorite card of the year, there's two. One is um, super powerful and interesting to have the dynamic in modern now, thanks to Modern Horizons, is uh, Force of Negation, which is just kind of like at a time when modern was starting to get really degenerate to have that card enter the system and become a little bit of a a warden on on modern was kind of interesting. Uh, That is another reason why I'm running Magus in modern over Blood Moon Main. Because Mm -hmm. of that card, because it cannot hit creature spells. Yeah, Mm -hmm. great point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the card that I thought was the most interesting and the most contentious that led to the most interesting discussions, though, was Mystical Sanctuary. Mm. Mm. That's what it is, right? The land? Yeah. Mystical? Mystic Sanctuary. Mystical Dispute, Mystic Sanctuary. (sighs) That's so brutal. Keep one. (laughs) So Mystic Sanctuary, I think, is my favorite card of the year just because it, it definitely got my mind racing as far as the stuff that you could do with it the most. And it was definitely the most fun to argue with Shane about whether it was a good card or not when he insisted that it was not a good card. No, this was in blue-white control. Again, on the wrong side of history, Shane Beeps. Uh. Lack of imagination. Shane unbanned twin Beeps. (laughs) So that was my favorite. Mouth agape. (laughs) All right, that's enough magic for one day. Let's talk about ourselves again. (laughs) Mindless self-indulgence. Hey, that used to be my favorite band. MSI, bro. Yo, yo, yo. We played a lot of Magic, online and in paper. <sighs> we went to some SCG tours. We went to some Grand Prix Mythic Fest, Mystic Fests. Dan, I think I played less Magic than the year before. No. Because I was too busy preparing for this podcast every week. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely not true for me. I played a lot. I played a lot of podcasts and I didn't contribute to notes a lot. As I realized when I tried to go back and look at the notes from old episodes, I was like, oh, look, here's another Sleeve Believe Heave where I put no notes and everybody else put three pages on their deck. <laughs> you do wing it so well, though, Dave. Sorry. Hey, in the last like 20 episodes, I've definitely put oh, man, heavy gotten, lifting. Caught, caught back up as far as contributing to the written content. But there were some spotty parts in the beginning of the summer for sure. Do you guys have any fond memories of your magic play this year? Any events that stick out? Any founders trips we all travel to together? <sighs> the founders retreat. I mean, if you're going to make me say it, I had a blast at Denver. For me, that was my first competitive event run by Wizards, or I guess run by Channel Fireball in coalition with Wizards. But my first competitive event that was real and serious and put on by the company making magic. Right. And also I did really well there. I went four two. I got a box of war that I opened two against from that are now in a pioneer deck. Very fun. But more than anything for me, it was a moment where I was able to sort of zone in, make the right decisions and feel like not only making this podcast and talking to everybody here, but 
thinking about magic more critically, I applied to paper and it paid off. So since then, obviously, there's been a flux and I've won and lost, but I, I feel like that was a really good delineating moment from Zach before he takes magic very seriously to Zach before he decides I can have fun and want to win. Yeah, and not because you were hanging out with us in Denver, Colorado. God, I mean, did I? It's such a blur. I mean, I remember being there. I remember winning. I remember a cat. Sleeping on my couch. I was definitely outside with some friends. It could have been a lot of people. The way was there. <laughs> oh, we drank that awesome guava beer. Oh, no, it was strawberry. Shouts out Mars Brewing. Please sponsor the podcast. But there was that one that we found in Denver that was like from Ooh, Hawaii. Like that, Pog juice. that was Stone Brewing, and that was Pog Juice, yeah. and that was out there. Stone Brewing, also sponsor our podcast. Any brewery sponsor our podcast. <laughs> We're Lord, all 20. Even Jepsons. Well, Shh, I'm into it. Yeah. We're all 21 plus here. Yeah. Jepsons sponsor our podcast. Some of us are at 31 plus. <laughs> Some of us are almost 41. Malort X I'm, dive down yeah. drop. I'm going to be 41 in just about a month. Oh my gosh. I just graduated high school. My favorite magic experience of the year was really feeling like over the past 52 episodes plus bonus content that we've made a positive impact on the magic community in some way. You know, whether that was when we first started talking to people on Reddit, when we started talking to people on Twitter, when we got our Patreon Slack going, you know, I just really felt like we were able to connect with a lot of people. We were able to give back to the community, which is one of the big reasons that I wanted to get involved in this podcast. I don't really remember having any great playing experiences, <laughs> but I, th I hanging out with you all, doing this every week, talking to you every week, every day is uh, pretty awesome. Multiple times a day. Yeah, that was a couple of real sappy stories. I don't know who you guys are trying to impress. My best magic <laughs> memory this year was when I cashed a modern tournament. <gasps> From casual spike to true spike. I spent a little bit of money and I went home with a little bit more money. <laughs> was it like 10 to 20 or what? I think it was like 30 to 50. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Big ups. Woo. Half a, half a bill. Dividends. Was, you know what it was? It was the culmination of my months of playing Phoenix. Sure. And then I took Is It Phoenix to an event at, I think it was at Pastimes, and I did really well. I finished 10th place. Hey, nice. You were really grinding that deck. I grounded. Grounded it. it, it. I grounded. I just would like to remind you that in episode one, you were like, I don't even know how good Faithless Looting is. I don't even what know. If I, what if I have to pitch cards that I want in my hand? Yeah. That sounds like me. That sounds like a huge <laughs> downside. <laughs> and then in the, as the, the year goes on, Stan's like, bring back my faithless looting. She's battle hardened. Yeah, I don't think it's really that problematic. Stan, <laughs> on, Stan went on an adventure <laughs> and he yeah. can't cast himself from exile. <laughs> and he came back as a faithless looting apology. <laughs> Angry Spike. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so uh, my favorite experience to build off of I'm going to go back to Sappy. I mean, it's just been great to like see where this community can kind of go and just be out here making content has been kind of amazing to just make new friends, people that I hope to meet in person sometime. And we've met a few dive downers that we haven't known. And like the couple of times I've been able to go out to paper tournaments. Um, it's been great to just talk to people who are surprised and, you know, thankful for the podcast, really gracious and nice. And just kind of, it never ceases to amaze me that people listen to this every week. Oh yeah. It's wild. God bless you. Yeah. I think, I think next year 
I think it's safe to say that all of us would like to get to a few more events, get to a few of the GPs, uh, meet more people, meet more listeners, uh, have fun with everyone playing the event, playing the side events, and getting a beer afterwards. Sure. The goal is to have a booth. It won't be sanctioned, so it has to move around a lot, but the goal is to have a booth. So Zach will have like a round table. Oh, round table. With suspenders. Coconuts there, banging those babies out loud. Yeah. And my other favorite magic experience this year is when I went 5-0 and got a trophy with a Vanifar deck in Modern. Uh, Don't have Never that forget happened. your first trophy. Well, That was not my first one. Uh, that's not what I heard. But uh, yeah, Vanifar. Guys, what's your favorite new format uh, of the year? <sighs> Shane, this is a loaded question. God. That's the point. That's why it's fun. I mean, this is a huge thing, though. And we haven't really talked about it in isolation yet. This episode, we talk about it every one, but honestly, honestly big fan of historic. I know <laughs> I, you, the words out of my mouth. <laughs> it's got that specter. Yeah. So the, your favorite the modern and historic bunk, podcast. Bone Crusher Giant can be played in historic as we all know. But it's what, I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's gotta be Pioneer. Right? Didn't we get Brawl this year as well? We did. <laughs> uh, uh, Brawl, I think, was Brawl this year, literally? I forgot it existed. It I swear it was last <laughs> year. But they really, really, really punted it. Oh, it was Dominaria, wasn't it, when they introduced Brawl? That I was 2018? Because I'm, I'm just going to itemize all the reasons I love Pioneer. Listeners, reminder, we are not becoming a Pioneer-only podcast. Uh, no. Well, no. So, I mean. The historic podcast, however, Thursdays at 9. What I think is interesting, actually, to talk about is not just why I like Pioneer, because the reasons are. Uh, a lot of experimentation, fluid deck lists. Nothing's really cemented yet. I like the, I like the the movement in the metagame right now, and I think part of that, and one of the things I think we should talk about is the pioneer ban strategy, because it's kind of a novel approach. Dave, yeah. you don't know if you agree with me. I mean, I think it's novel. Yeah, you it's don't like it. Though, I, is I'm it an approach to you? Very on the fence about whether this was the right thing to do or not. Yeah, I think I mean it's only I think that's really the only thing you can be, right? Honestly. There's only keep in mind they only have two options because they know that in a card pool as large as something like Pioneer and Eternal Format, that there will be cards that are too powerful and degenerate and wreck the format because they'll have enablers that are too powerful and yada yada yada. So they only have two options. One is we're gonna ban a bunch of cards in advance. The other one is we're gonna do some testing and let people kind of be degenerate for a while and ban cards as we go. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of tough, you know, the the financial ramifications for people who bought into Pioneer decks. Yeah, it keeps people out from really buying in. We're real yeah. for people who lost things like Smuggler's Copter. Sure. And, you know, Smuggler's Copter only got to like a $10 card, I think. But still, if you bought four of them and went to one PTQ uh, or sure. whatever, you know, that's not a great feeling. And that's happened multiple times now. Yeah, I think the result, though, is like this is not something that's just – it's not even – Two years. It's not just a standard format. This is something that should be around for, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years, hopefully, right? And it's about creating that initial ban list that people aren't necessarily going to argue about as much, right? They're really kind of they're allowing the players to show their work and say, hey, if this card is going to be on the ban list, you showed why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, that's certainly the plus. No, definitely. And we've talked endlessly about how after Jace and Stoneforge, other cards have come off, maybe they've turned out to be fine in the end. And maybe at the time when they were banned, they were too much or the fear was too much. So 
I agree that it's sort of front-loading the anxiety and front-loading the stress of testing things. But I think that overall, it now allows people to point to, well, why is this banned? And they go, well, do you remember when it won, you know, it was top eight of the two top 16s or et cetera, et cetera. So it creates a better precedent and a better way to argue as opposed to, well, Cobblade wasn't fun, so we can't have Jace, right? Right. Makes sense. I mean, I like Pioneer fine. Oh, it's very different, which I'm is gonna, good. I'm going to keep playing modern, but... For sure. Now comes uh, one of the best, juiciest segments of the episode where we talk about our favorite guests. This is going to be so hard to pick. We're going to rank them top to bottom, right? Yeah. Yeah, Top to bottom. Okay. So tied for first. Yeah. Gall Schlesinger. Yep. Ross Miriam. Yep. Riley Knight. Mm -hmm. Emma Partlow. Oh, yeah. And the host of Faithless Burn. Yeah, all of those guests tied for first. God, is that a five-way tie? It's a, it's a five-way tie. God. The six-way if you count I, Dan and Damon I, as separate I, entities. Yeah. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank we just wanted to thank all of our guests for being on the podcast. Ross, you came on twice. Everyone else, you, you all really made it special for us to feel like we were doing something. When you know, people wanted to be on our podcast, they wanted to talk with us. You gave us tons of information for free. You know, Gall, Ross, Riley, Emma, the Faithless guys, they came on and, and gave us their valuable time and information to share with our listeners. So we couldn't appreciate you all more. All right, starting with Tide for First, Gall Schlesinger. Uh, we know that he's still regularly streaming. I get to see him during the day when I work from home. He's been grinding a lot. He's got a good listener base, good viewer base. Uh, he's Eldrazi Tron expert now since Hardened Scales has kind of taken a little bit of a hit and he just won the Pioneer PTQ with uh, Simic Devotion uh, he streams at twitch.tv slash Killer. Russ Miriam now has his own podcast with Tan and Grace Com- competition I like to think that we inspired him with showing him how easy it is to have a podcast yeah so be, these guys can do it this is all own. you schmucks do I can do this easy yeah <laughs> I got to say, I love this podcast. Yeah, this is every episode. Really good. It's more of a lifestyle pod, but I agree. <laughs> Obviously, you can see him on Verse Live as well. Or see, he still writes on SCG. Yeah. Very prolific content creator, magic player. We love Ross. Thanks, Ross. A big shout out to Riley Knight as well, who currently has two podcasts, Half Hours History, which as a fellow history connoisseur, big fan of, and the Arena Boys as well, which I would call a comedy podcast. <laughs> They also work on content for Channel Fireball, and they're involved in magic broadcasting. So, Riley, thank you for living the dream and being something to aspire to. And Emma Partlow is now uh, writing for TCG Player, and she's doing a lot of work writing about uh, Budget Modern. Also, big shout out to Emma for really being the first one to reach out and just help us out when we were a fledgling young podcast. Those first six episodes, there's some good stuff there, but that quality, (laughs) I sound like I am yelling at a mic from across the room sometimes. <laughs> it's me, and, and yeah, and this woman found it in her heart to not only want to support us, but to retweet us and actively be there for us. So Emma, thank you so much for being a fan from the get-go. And we're just so lucky to have you. And of course, uh, Faithless Brewing, our most recent guests, they're going strong with their podcast dedicated to brewing in modern and in pioneer. Our beloved stepbrother. Absolutely. So check them out. All right. I think we're done congratulating ourselves. Not for now. Let's be a little, <laughs> let's try to be a little more humble, a little more honest with our mm-hmm. listeners who stuck with us this far. We had some bad takes this year. Mm-hmm. You put a microphone a in one. front of someone who's not very good at magic, but pretends that they're an expert on one of the most challenging formats why in the game. Looking, why are you looking at me when you say those things? 
It's a lot easier when you only stick to color cards of one color. <laughs> I definitely have some cringy moments that when I look back on, I kind of think to myself, what was I thinking? Oh, you should go first. Why then? was I trying to kill dead air? <laughs> All right, so after Stoneforge, Mystic was unbanned, and there was this brief period where Jeskai Stoneforge was a very competitive deck, and Giver of Ruins was seeing play alongside Stoneforge. Um, I think Teferi Time Reveler was in that strategy, mm-hmm. Geist of St. Traft. I made the proclamation that Jeskai was back and basically came to the conclusion that color strategies such as Jeskai or Jund, which can sometimes fall out of favor, still demonstrate that they have the capacity or potential to return to favor. And that felt like a flash in the pan. Looking back, like... It was like two weeks of Jeskai Stoneforge, as it turned out, unfortunately. Remember the first 5-0 dump with Stoneforge? There was like 19 separate Stoneforge Mystic decks. I remember you crunched the numbers about how this was in relation to Bloodbraid and how this is problematic. It was a lot more, was yeah, a lot more yeah. than Bloodbraid. Yeah, guess what? Didn't turn out to be problematic. The simulations aren't always right, Shane. I don't know if I said the words problematic. I just said there's a lot more. He said that it's on the wrong side of history. But. Yeah, Stoneforge is canceled. <laughs> yeah, I think I lost money on buying my place. Of Stoneforge <laughs> oh, 100%. I traded a bunch of cards yeah. like six weeks ago for it, and it was like immediately. I don't regret it. The card's not bad. No. It's just, it might just not be at Modern's current power level. Right? <gasps> what? So let's, let's we're going to talk in a minute about what's going to happen <laughs> to Modern's power level coming up here soon. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We're, I think we're all going to give takes. Yeah, we, more we, bad we, takes. We got more bad takes. <laughs> Zach, what was your bad take? <sighs> so around Modern Horizons, I had this theory, hope, wish, belief that it was going to raise a lot of fringe decks up to stardom and push these archetypes where they needed yeah. to be. But what it did was made good decks even better and the rich get richer. So I said on mic, and I cannot believe I said this, that I thought Zombies was slated to become a very powerful deck. It's something to keep an eye out for in the future. That's not true. It didn't do that. And then at the episode, um, I think it was Shane who said Slivers, and I snap changed my choice to Slivers instead of Zombies. But I said Zombies. And And you also said Slivers. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was hoping you wouldn't try to call me out on that double take there. But yeah, I... I, I wanted Modern Horizons to be the set that gave tribal decks the tools they needed, and it did, but then it also gave other decks tools, sometimes the same card, and it used it better. Yeah, Plague so, Engineer. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that my card evaluation was wrong, but I think I was a little bit tunnel-visioned or narrow-minded about it. Zombies aren't good. I'm so sorry, everybody. Well, my worst take, I think, was on episode 30, and here is the quote of it. We were discussing... When Bridge from Below was banned, and I was reading the banned and restricted announcement, and here's what I said. I can't help but read this and think that faithless looting is safe. <laughs> it was like they wrote that article to make us think that was the case. Don't you think so? I do. There's so a I wasn't, I wasn't the only person that no thought way. this. No way. It was such a You're blind funny. side. But it was definitely just like, I should have known better. I knew, I knew for a long time that Faithless was getting too pervasive. It was too powerful a card. I just got swept up in that whole Twitter argument where people were like, what if modern is the faithless looting format? To and quote you know Shane, what? what if modern is a graveyard format? No, no, that's Dan. To quote Stan? To quote Dave? To quote everyone. To quote I mean, me? Literally everybody was saying that. And with one swoop, they totally unmade that. Dave, what is a fell swoop? 
Fell swoop. The killing blow. Yeah, what is a fell swoop? The coup de gras. It's just oh. good. It's so just if a good, your opponent's it's a real helpless, you can take a full round action and your attack counts as a critical against them. Is that like a whole That could be times like, three, what's, what's times four, depending on your weapon. We'll talk yeah. later off mic. Am I dual wielding nothers and fellas? A dual wield coup de gras. We'll talk later off mic. Yeah. Coup de Gracie. So <laughs> that was the one that I felt the worst about. I'm sorry. I feel pretty bad about it too, but for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. Shane. All right. Uh, my, my, you asked to go last. My worst take is mid-range is dead. It's still dead. I said the best Simic, for last. Simic, Simic, Simic Urza is not a mid-range deck. It's a control deck. Is it? I don't That's know. what you think? I don't think so. It's a sort of. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's sort on the, it's of. It's on the control end of things. Oko is not a control card. I mean, also mid-range is dead. It's is, everything you want it to be, said maybe. tongue-in-cheek was before, also before round six. Was it said tongue-in-cheek? I would, I would like to ask you a question, though. Please. On episode four, oh, man, I'm getting called out. <laughs> the receipts are here. <laughs> yes. You had a moment where you said, as a mid-range player, <gasps> mm-hmm. I think X, Y, Z. What does Shane in December think now? How would you characterize the type of player you are? I believe that oh. a couple of weeks ago you said you were an aggro, disruptive, disruptive aggro? aggro player now. Man, what do you think? I'm a cancer personally. Yeah. I'm. I think that sort of speaks to what I am, which is flighty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both nervous and excitable. <laughs> it's yeah. I, I'm yeah. I I think I don't stick to one thing very well, except I don't play control. Okay. So I, I stick to not one thing. D- Dave, I just want to add real quick. So where Shane said as a mid range player, someone at the LGS mentioned that episode to me yesterday and went, is he a mid range player? When has he played mid range decks? Not Not anymore. Who's doing this? Is that Stan? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So time is running out on this very fun in person live episode. I don't want to stop. I know. I got one last parting question for my co-hosts. As we look back on this year, year of the dragon. Do you guys think 2019 was a good year for magic, the gathering for modern or pioneer? Or the game at large? There's some up ups and downs in there, wasn't there? Some Let's, ups and downs. I, let me just give you a really quick sur- surface recap of some of the things that happened in this banner year. Clark Clan Ironworks banned. Modern Horizons released. London Mulligan introduced. Stoneforge Mystic unbanned. Faithless Looting. Bridge from Below. Hogak banned. Pioneer introduced with a very novel attempt at forming a ban list. Yeah. Did you say Modern Horizons printed? Oh, I yeah. Did. Oh, I did. Second, I did. Second, Oof, second there were so many thing. things there I didn't even realize. Secret Lair gave us four new Arts no, see, of Serum Visions. See, this, this is... Love that. I was going to go to Secret Lair as like sort of a negative thing, right? Because I have... There's a lot of pros and a lot of cons here. So there was this really big dramatic power up of everything across the board in sets like War of the Spark, Modern Horizons, Throne of Eldraine... Modern Horizons, I think the jury's still out on whether it was a net benefit, a net con to the game. Uh, the London Mulligan, same thing. You know, there's an increase in consistency. I think that there, you still will hear people say, I don't think this is good. I think this is good. Yeah. Um, there was a normalization of the concept of bands and things like modern, pioneer, standard. Is that what was going to continue in 2020? Or is that something that's just an aberration? Shane is very unsure. Yeah, Stan, I am. Are you I'm more sure? You Why are you so sweaty? You right raised now? some really good questions. I don't know. I think in some ways, time will tell whether or not this is the new normal. Obviously, and I can't wait to record our year two recap. I think, in some level, though, I'm kind of at peace with the fact that Magic might be a very dynamic format 
And I think part of that has to do with this increased rate in products that we're seeing forcing formats to adapt rapidly. And I think that is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you get to iterate often and quickly if you have the resources to do that. But on the other hand, like sometimes it means your deck, the one you foiled out, is just outmoded over the course of like a season. Do you mean Scred? I do. Yeah. Was 2019 a good year for Magic? It was an exciting year. Sure. Like, without a doubt. There is always something to talk about. There is always something going on. And there is always an opportunity for you to try to level up your opponents by being one step ahead. That's exactly where I was going to go with the question. Actually, it was just, I mean, as far as an entertainment product for me to be a part of and enjoy... We it's could, hard. It's hard to deny that, like talking about spoilers that were this awesome was really fun, and seeing what happened in a lot of ways was really fun too. It's annoying to have to want to buy cards all the time and see those financial implications and things. But the bottom line for me, I think, is what you said too. It was an exciting year. Yeah, we could not have asked for a better first year of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Personally, I loved it a lot. I thought there was a lot going on. It was really dynamic for me. I was at a point in my life where I had the financial capabilities to buy new cards and the free time to invest into Magic. So it was sort of a perfect storm of this year being a time where I could dedicate myself to Magic, whether it be the podcast, whether it be grinding in my LGS, whether it be leagues. I felt like I love the amount of of content, literal physical content, whether it be cards or special drops or whatever. I loved it. And I like that there's so many different products that not every product's for every player. Like, I didn't buy any of the drops, but I like that they existed. And I am not going to buy a single mystery booster, but I have friends who are. And I just like that there's a lot of ways to play Magic. And I've definitely gotten more competitive and more serious, but it's not that that's the only way to play. So I'm looking forward to buying more foil red cards in the future and just like that Magic is feeling more and more for everyone at all times nowadays. I think Pioneer is a big part of that. Ain't that the truth? You know, I think in general, if you ask, you know, 10 Magic players, the majority of them will say that they prefer having a deck, a a non-rotating format to play, whether it's Commander, Legacy, Modern, whatever. And I think having more avenues to do that, to have like a deck and to be able to build something that you love and and nurture it and, and train yourself at doing that and having more formats where you get to do that, I think is a net positive. So at least in that one regard, I think... Pioneer being introduced this year makes this a really special year. Introduction of Pioneer is like a big deal and one that we're only going to keep seeing the positive ramifications for. God, I hope so. Right on. Karn, I hope so. So many cards to buy and they're all like 40 cents. Yeah, fortunately, (sighs) they're all really cheap. Great. Sometimes they're $8 and you don't buy them and you die on that hill and then they go to 10 and then they're out of stock. Emmerglaive, why? The ultimate guard boxes i've been purchasing are more expensive than most of the cards (laughs) that i've had to buy humble brick well there we go we did it we recapped a year we talked about some topics that we'll never talk about again goodbye lightning scale elemental goodbye scred goodbye yellow brick road uh goodbye arclight phoenix in modern anyway for now for now hello rekindling phoenix (laughs) Hello, Flame Wake Phoenix. Oh, hello. That wraps up this week's show and this year of podcasting. We are going to take a week off in the last week of December. So on December 30th, there will not be a dive down. Enjoy the holiday. Spend some time with your family. Happy Hanukkah, Stan. So thanks, Zach. Just so people know, it's not so September 30th would 
The week of the, the week of December 30th. December 30th would be the record date. That's so the January, January 3rd. 3rd episode. Yeah, so as you're recovering from your New Year's parties, we will be too. Enjoy any one of the best apps that we mentioned earlier today. If you haven't yet, if this is your first time listening to the dive down and you wow, <laughs> you stuck with us. <laughs> Sorry. And you're like, "Wow, these guys are really prolific." They really like to talk about themselves. Yeah, maybe you should subscribe. podcasting. Yeah. You can subscribe to our podcast, get the latest episodes as soon as they come out, except on the week of December 30th. No episode that week. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or ask us about something in Modern or Pioneer, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. We're joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack server, S4. We love interacting with our patrons. The new model, oh my goodness. Also shout out to manatraders.com for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Manatraders using promo code the Dive Down, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting paper or Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. For a year. And until next week, get out there and make a podcast! I love Half Our History as well. I'm a... I'm a completist. I've heard every episode. So good. Wow. Did you listen to the one that just came out this week about the Norman invasion? What did I just say? It's fantastic. <laughs> what did he <laughs> just but, say? But it just came out yesterday. So. I've already heard it. Me too. Stan, it's so Stan good. listens to half our history before he listens to our episodes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs>